Hey, welcome back to the Addicted to Healthy podcast, your one-stop destination for all things health and a kick-ass life. I'm Laurence, certified nutritional practitioner and health coach and the host of the Addicted to Healthy podcast. Today, I have Dr. Leah Wester on the podcast. She is a licensed naturopathic doctor, passionate about functional and chronic digestive conditions and everything gut health. After losing her mother to breast cancer at the young age of 16, she developed a strong distrust for mainstream medicine and a determination to spread awareness of natural alternatives. So she spent 10 years working her way through school to become a California licensed naturopathic doctor. During her journey, she found herself being drawn to focus on gastroenterology because of her personal struggles with poor gut health throughout her life. Through years of peeling away the layers of balance within her own health, she gained valuable knowledge of the digestive system and genuine empathy for all those who suffer from debilitating gut conditions. So now it's her mission to help as many people as she can to overcome their own struggles so that they too can discover a life of health and happiness. She also is passionate about environmental medicine and spreading awareness of hidden toxins in home products, food, body products, etc. And today we're going to be talking a lot about that and the gut toxin link. And you guys will soon find out that there is really a lot of impact that toxins do have on our gut and we are really becoming more and more exposed. So we're going to talk all about that and of course tips, tricks, and suggestions on how to minimize our exposure as much as possible and support our organs of detoxification. So welcome onto the podcast today, Leah. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm really excited about this topic, especially to talk about it with you because I know you have so much experience with this and I always love talking with doctors and just picking their brains and making sure we dive into like the nitty gritty stuff. So I would love for you to first kind of introduce yourself and kind of tell us how you got to where you are today and why you're doing what you're doing. Sure. So um, there's actually kind of like a couple of reasons that I was sort of brought into this. Um, To begin with, I was first brought into the naturopathic or, you know, natural medicine world because my mother was very passionate about it. And um, she was basically planning on becoming a naturopathic doctor herself. However, she unfortunately was diagnosed with uh, stage four breast cancer when I was 16 and did not survive that. And unfortunately, her whole journey took her through the mainstream medical world where, you know, there's not always a whole lot of hope. And through that experience with her, it really frustrated me that there wasn't more being done for people and that people weren't more aware of, you know, natural options and that the body wasn't supported and that basically health just didn't even seem like it was, you know, on the picture in that realm. And so I was passionate to want to help change that as much as I could and make people more aware of um, what is available out there. And that is what drew me into naturopathic medicine. And while in my education, I uh, found myself very drawn to gut health in particular because I have personally suffered from a lot of gut issues my whole life. It seems like I have a genetic predisposition towards um, a candida overgrowth because my mother had it when she was pregnant with me. So I was actually born with it and have struggled with it forever. And as a result, I know what it's like to go, you know, (laughs) 
frustratingly into the ups and downs of feeling better and not feeling better and getting hopeless and feeling like there's no answers and that nobody can help you and nobody understands your pains and your struggles and everything. And I just really wanted to let people know that I'm there for them and that I have dived you know, into this field in a way that um, expands beyond somebody just kind of knowing the basics of gut health. And it's really what I eat, breathe and sleep. So that's kind of what has brought me here and in this particular field. And toxins and chemicals have a lot to do with that because of how important our gut is to overall health in general. So that's why I'm also very passionate about that. Well, I love your mission and I can definitely relate with that. And I just see it all the time where women are just discouraged and they're told it's all in their head and it's just like, yeah. what's wrong with me? I'm broken. Like something's off or, or even maybe they're making it up. And it's just very disheartening because obviously it's not being made up. You definitely, if you don't feel good in your body, something is going on. Like we're not exactly. supposed to feel like shit. And I'm just sick of people thinking that we have to feel like yeah. shit. And I think that's both of our missions uh, within our practices. It's to really, you know, help people understand that. And it's also just, being able to listen to people and actually, um, you know, telling them that it's not all in their head. Like there is actually a reason why they're feeling like this and that there is hope. So I am just very grateful that there's more of this kind of word that's spreading around. And then obviously people like you to be able to help other people with that too. And I definitely can relate to the candida thing. <laughs> it's not yeah. fun at all. It isn't. <laughs> but I think we could definitely talk about gut health for like days, but I definitely want to kind of concentrate on toxins. Yes. Um, I think that's going to be our focus today. So how do toxins specifically in our environment impact our gut health? Like what is the link there? So um, toxicology is basically the study of um, adverse effects that happen as a result of toxins or chemicals on like organic systems, aka human beings. Um, and it's a huge area of study. So I can tell you that there's so much we still don't know. And a lot of what we do know comes from animal studies and like correlations, meaning that we see you know, two things kind of happen at the same time. We see these chemicals rising and then we see these conditions occurring. And so we can kind of say, well, there's a very decent chance that they're linked. So specifically when it comes to the gut, um, even though toxins can affect gut health in a variety of different ways, the main area that we really know the most about right now has to do with the microbiome. And for anybody who doesn't really know much of the microbiome or what that means. It basically means that we have a collection of various microbes, which can include like bacteria, different types of yeast, um, archaea, which are like ancient um, microbes and um, parasites. And they're found on every aspect of our entire body inside and out. And the most, the majority of them are basically collected in our digestive tract and especially in the colon which is the large intestine. And um, so we kind of tend to refer to that area as the gut microbiome. And what we do know is that we basically need to have as many different types of species and a lot of them to have the best overall health because we now understand that these microbes are directly communicating with the cells of our body, basically helping to support our immune system, triggering the development of like vitamins and certain minerals and nutrients, 
um, decreasing inflammation, communicating to our brain via the gut-brain connection and making it so that our mental, emotional, you know, uh, health is optimal. And so the studies that we have seen thus far, they basically have taken various chemicals that we find in our environment. And, you know, a lot of the time with like rat models, for example, they will expose certain rats to the chemicals and then test their microbiome before and afterwards. And what we're finding is that um, a lot of our good bacteria are very sensitive to these chemicals and the bad bacteria tend to have more of a resistance for some reason or another. And so when we're exposed to them, we're basically starting to kill off the good bacteria population in our gut, which is allowing for the bad bacteria to grow more efficiently. And this is creating what we call a dysbiosis picture, essentially, which means that the gut flora is completely out of balance. And that is therefore kind of like a domino effect leading into a significant amount of other health consequences going down. So, I mean, that can get into, you know, a huge slew of stuff. I mean, it starts as simply as basically limiting, you know, the overall health of our immune system to then creating a leaky gut picture to then creating like a low grade inflammation that sort of lasts into a longer chronic inflammation and then you have just about any kind of condition that you can think of that can become a um, consequenting result. Yeah, so what if somebody is like, oh, I'm taking probiotics every day. Um, do they have anything to worry about? Probiotics in the sense of probiotics specifically causing harm or? So for instance, if somebody um, is like, you know, listening to this and Maybe they are being exposed to toxins or even things that can feed like the bad bacteria, but they're, mm-hmm. they're saying, oh, I'm taking probiotics. Is, is that enough? Oh, meaning like that that could kind of counteract the effects? Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, no, because even with probiotics, I mean, the world of probiotics is still like a very young field when it comes to like the studies of the microbiome. And we still have not yet even come close to generating probiotics that live up to what the research is telling us that we need. We're just kind of using them as uh, whatever sort of benefit they can possibly impart, which depending on which specialist you speak to, it's very um, give and take onto whether or not we think that they're always beneficial and not always harmful. Um, So because our gut is containing trillions of microbes, the, the billions that you get potentially in the CFUs for a probiotic the amount that actually will survive in the gut is very small and that's not even enough to really create like a blimp of a difference in comparison to the kind of bombarding we're getting from toxins all over our environment constantly. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that a lot of people like they just take like the same thing or the same strains or even like very yeah. low dose. Um, I've definitely been uh, curious about Viome. I'm sure you've heard of them. Yes. I definitely want to do testing with them because I think it's more of like individual strains, like which ones you need, um, which was kind of like the next thing in the probiotic world because, yeah, we can't just take like any old strain and just, you know, pray for the best. Yeah. It's kind of, it's going to be very um, specific. But yeah, I mean, supplements are definitely, they have a time and place, but it's not going to be the cure all. And I think a lot of people kind of have, that mistake. Yeah. Um, but what are some things first, sorry, I'm going to kind of stay on track here. <laughs> what are some <laughs> symptoms that could indicate that somebody has a high toxic load? 
So the research these days lets us know that it's not a question of whether or not we all have a significant amount of toxins in our body because we know it's true. Um, they, you know, have studied many urine samples, blood samples, et cetera, of like, you know, hundreds to thousands of people in like a certain population in order to be able to say that this is the average a representation of the average population and everybody contains um, the toxins that we know we're worried about so it's not a matter of questioning whether or not we're you know having them in our system and therefore being exposed to them and the symptoms you know once again the difficulty with that is that there's no one accurate definitive test that we can say you definitely have this toxin and it's definitely causing this symptom. But what we do know is kind of a general sense of what it's doing or the taxing or toll that it's taking on the body and therefore what symptoms are very, you know, likely, you know, a consequence of that. And once again, this also depends on whether or not we're talking like an acute, you know, toxicity or if we're talking kind of chronic slow over time. Um, but I mean, some basic things that would basically suggest that a person's body is not necessarily functioning as optimally and they're kind of getting an overload for a variety of things. I mean, headaches, chronic headaches that have no other discernible, you know, cause, chronic fatigue, um, skin issues that, you know, don't seem to have a understandable origin. Um, I mean, there's a lot of cancers that are now linked to, you know, a toxic burden. Um, autoimmunity is linked to a toxic burden. Um, I mean, it's, the list can go on. We know dysbiosis, as from what I just said, with gut health is linked to it. So basically any condition that results from the dysbiosis, you know, is linked to that. So, so we're basically all toxic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. that is the fact these days. We live in a toxic world, and the more research you do on it, the more overwhelming it can be. Like, can I just get shipped to another planet? <laughs> yeah, we're looking for that next planet for sure. I don't think yeah. this one's going to survive that much longer, but that's a whole other debate. But <laughs> it is. <laughs> but I think um, detox and cleanses are very popular these days. Um, obviously, there are, you know, this is a whole other podcast episode, but there are ways yeah. to do detoxes cleanses quote-unquote properly um mm -hmm. but a lot of people say that we don't need them to be able to detoxify which is correct i mean we do have detoxifying organs but um as you were mentioning we obviously have a higher toxic load now um obviously compared to like prehistoric times our you know our system wasn't bombarded by the amounts of chemicals that it is now yeah. so what is your thought about that are we able to handle our toxic load these days with just our detox organs or do we need more support we definitely need more support um and the problem is that a lot of the toxins that we have in the environment these days are called are considered lipophilic meaning they're more fatty based and not water soluble and our body and pretty much any organic living system is not really well designed to deal with um, lipophilic supplements or substances and so the whether you inhale it and it goes into your lungs and then the bloodstream or it touches your skin and is absorbed and then gets into the bloodstream or you eat it and it's ingested and it's absorbed through the intestines and then gets into the bloodstream everything basically circulates around to the liver to try to have it be that the liver will try to take those lipophilic substances and turn them into 
hydrophilic, meaning more water soluble, in order to then either send it to the kidneys for excretion or back into their digestive tract for elimination, you know, fecally or, you know, in a gaseous state to then be breathed out. And this is an amazing system and our body is a fabulous, wonderful working machine for us that's trying to do the best that it can. But the problem is, is that for one, when we aren't properly able to make it more hydrophilic versus lipophilic, then our body ends up, you know, basically storing it. And though it gets stored in our bones, it gets stored in our brain, it gets stored in fat, it gets stored in the kidneys, and it gets stored in the liver. And when this happens, this basically is a toxin that's just living in our body, being able to wreak havoc, you know, on each new cell that is genetically creating material that could then basically create improper material. And then there's a lot of issues that go along with all of that. And in addition to that, the process of biotransformation, aka detoxification, requires a significant amount of vitamins and minerals, as we call cofactors, in order to have each and every little process happen within that process. And I like to say that our society is overfed and undernourished because in general, <clears throat> we're eating a lot of food, but our food is basically lacking the nutrition that we need. <clears throat> and so the average person doesn't have the kind of nutritional <clears throat> sorry, the nutritional um, standing that they really need for optimal health and optimal detoxification. So if you're lacking B vitamins, for example, your detoxification process is just not going to go the way that it would need to optimally, and therefore you're not going to do as well of a job at detoxifying. And in general, because our soil is depleted and our water is depleted, it's impossible to say that we can necessarily get all the nutrition we need just simply from eating healthy and how many people in this world are eating as healthy as they're supposed to even on top of that yeah 100 i see a lot of people take like the detox teas are like you know the liver support and that's great it can help but if we're not getting those building blocks and those nutrients needed especially for phase two like the amino acids yeah. glutathione b vitamins then the liver is like i need i, I need more support here right so exactly yeah, I think that's a huge, a huge thing, especially when it comes to like juice cleanses or things like that. Like it's not really addressing the phase two and like all the nutrients we need. So that can also become yeah. more toxic even, right? So we really need to be careful with that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's true. It's just, we're just not made to live in this toxic world. So definitely need more support for sure. And they show that, you know, even, even though a good portion of the toxins and chemicals are also getting excreted from the body, it also depends on the half-life of them. And the half-life basically implies how long it survives in the system before it's excreted. Some have a really short half-life and some have a longer half-life. And we're finding that even if our body is properly excreting them, the time that they spend in our system is still having some sort of systemic effect on a cellular level. Because even if the excretion process is happening, we're still able to show a very strong correlation that some damage has occurred. And so it's not as simple as saying, as long as we get rid of it, then that's fine because the exposure to it period is showing to have a problem. Yeah, would those be like uh, glyphosate and BPA kind of stuff? It's like chemical wise, yeah. yeah glyphosate yeah. is pesticides is a huge one, BPA, phthalates, PCBs, I mean, there's an insane list of them. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, definitely. It's definitely worrisome. But there are some things that we can do, which we will discuss after, after all the negative stuff. <laughs> I, I don't want to discourage everybody. <laughs> yes. 
So now I know you mentioned autoimmunity. Um, I would love for you to kind of dive into that a little bit deeper. How do toxins play a role in autoimmunity development? Um, do you think that this is one of the causes for the rise of autoimmune disease rates as well? 100%. So um, to give people kind of like a little brief, you know, backstory and understanding of this, it kind of goes along with um, the hygiene hypothesis, which essentially in the early 19th century and earlier, you know, our populations used to get plagued by, you know, very strong infectious diseases that would wipe out, you know, large groups of people, you know, the flu, the plague, etc. And obviously that was devastating. And in those times, we wanted to do anything we could to figure out how to stop those kind of epidemics from occurring. And that's when, you know, the scientist Alexander Fleming then came up with penicillin, which, you know, was the first antibiotic that he discovered could kill off the infectious agents. And it started making a huge improvement. And, you know, it saved a lot of like, you know, people during the war when, you know, there was wounds that normally people would die from infections then. And it saved, you know, made it so there wasn't an epidemic with infections basically ever again since that point. So, of course, we love this and this is awesome, but we kind of have a tendency in our society to then think once something is good, that no matter how much of it, it's still a good thing. But it kind of goes along the like the idea of is that even too much of a good thing can be a bad thing too. And we've kind of overdone it. So now we have antibacterial soaps that we're using for everything all over everywhere and antibacterial wipes we're using for everything. And we have vaccines and we have, you know, a hundred different, you know, antibiotics. And now antibiotics aren't even just used for like really serious, you know, situations. They're used for even just the common cold. And as a result, we've pretty much wiped out a huge portion of the microbes in our, you know, North American continent, essentially. And because of this, we have seen that at the same time as the microbes started disappearing, autoimmunity started increasing. And the reason for this is because we know for a fact that the microbes in our system have a huge part in helping to regulate our immune system. I mean, 80% of the immune system is found in the lining of the guts, and that's where all of our microbes are, you know, constantly communicating and, you know, interacting with our, you know, immune system. And as a result of having it be that we're no longer getting exposure to a wide variety of microbes, we're actually making ourselves sicker and we're making our immune system weaker. And what happens is that without the immune system constantly having this availability to sort of like test and react to a wide variety of um, exposures, it starts malfunctioning in a way. So that malfunction means that the genetic material for the new like white cells of the immune system aren't really created properly and they can start turning into self-attacking, you know, immune systems, the autoimmune picture. And so essentially the you know, scientific hypothesis is that as a result of basically killing the bacterial diversity in our you know, environment, we have pretty much set ourselves up for the chronic um, autoimmune situation that we see today. And so we were talking a little bit about probiotics and obviously um, you know, the state of our intestines and that's going to be a really big factor in autoimmunity because it's one of the kind of triggers. Um, So obviously we need to protect that and, you know, optimize that environment and Mm -hmm. probiotics and microbiome is obviously one of those things. And we were talking about probiotics. So 
and we mentioned that, you know, supplement wise, it's not always enough. So what else can we do? So I think um, the important thing is for people to start kind of recognizing where some of the biggest toxins are and trying to do the best that they can to eliminate, you know, them. Um, it's impossible once again, as I've said, to have a completely toxic free world or environment because unfortunately they exist everywhere. But every effort you make to lessen the burden along with also improving your health and nutritional status will make a huge improvement. So um, I was going to kind of like list, you know, sort of like the things that I've primarily recognized even in my own home environment as far as chemicals and then, you know, make suggestions for how people could kind of swap out alternatives and what to look for and what to, you know, avoid on that sense if that appeals to you. Yeah, hundred percent. Let's do it. Um, so for example, um, one of the main chemicals that we have in our environment is called VOCs, which, vol which is volatile organic compounds. Um, and you, these are found everywhere. And primarily what we find is that the largest concentration of them is with indoor pollution, air pollution, meaning that because they basically get into the air and our home environments don't have like an excellent, you know, filtration system of having air flow in and out, they kind of get concentrated in the house environment. And that's where we see that people get the most exposure to them. Um, and where they exist the most is in cigarette smoke, which obviously just choosing to not smoke anywhere near your windows and getting completely out of the house. If you have to be a smoker to begin with, <laughs> then that is the best bet or anybody you know that smokes, just making sure that it's not in your home environment. Um, another huge one is anytime you get new like furniture or household items or anything, anytime you have that smell where you get a new item and you can smell it smells what people like to say the brand new smell or like the factory smell, that right there is VOCs just going around your house all over the place <laughs> because that is the chemical off-gassing that is happening from these products. And so if you have to get something new, um, I highly suggest having it out in like a garage or outside or somewhere else where it can off-gas for at least 48 hours before it's actually brought into your home. Um, I also is that the um, new car smell too? That's new car smell too. Oh, yeah. I used to love that smell. <laughs> so bad. It's, it's, I mean, that's the thing is that we just don't know. And so it's like kind of trying to create awareness for the fact that what totally. we used to think was just not a big deal actually is a big deal and we just don't realize it. And um, another thing is if you, I, I mean, for me personally, because a lot of like new items, it takes a really long time for them to stop eliminating the large amount of chemicals they are in the beginning. I've kind of become an advocate for just getting used things. You know, Craigslist is awesome. And, you know, being able to buy something that is older means that it's done a lot of like the shedding and off-gassing that it would be doing to where you're not going to have as much of the chemical exposure. Um, and so that is helpful. Um, dry cleaning is a huge, you know, VOC, you know, aspect, which people wouldn't think about. And so for one, try to avoid dry cleaning as much as you can because they use some really intense chemicals on the cleaning process. And if you have to do it, ask them not to put plastic, you know, covering your clothing and then have it be that the, once again, the items that you have, if you can keep them somewhere else other than in the house for like a day before, you know, you bring them into the home, it would help to make it so the off-gassing from that isn't as intense. 
Um, also, other VOCs are like the really strong like cleaning um, agents like degreasers for the oven or paint thinners or things like Gugon or any of that kind of stuff that's like considered a solvent. It's like basically helps to like really break down like the really rough, you know, cleaning agents. Those ones are some of the biggest and the dirtiest. <laughs> so for me, I wrap my oven in foil so then I don't have to worry about the cleaning process. So then I never have to have those chemicals, you know, come in my house and I'll just wait until I move or something and I'm not in here to have somebody else clean it if they have to. But trying to avoid that as much as possible is um, very helpful. Um, cleaning products in general, a lot of people don't realize that the standard cleaning products that you get, you know, at the store are all loaded with chemicals that are constantly you know, leaving and leaching into the air every time you spray them or, you know, squirt them on any surface. And it's not just, you know, it sticks around for a long time, which is the problem. So I don't know if in Canada, you guys, do you guys also carry seventh generation? Do you have that? Yeah, or? I love that one. Okay. So seventh generation is probably one of the only ones that I could say consistently is available in most places um, that make sure that they use like as much of the most plant-based and clean, you know, products as possible. So I don't have anything other than seventh generation or similar, you know, products in my house, at least for cleaning, or you can make your own. There's a lot of DIY, you know, home cleaning options. Um, another one that is big is PCBs, which is polychlorinated biphenyl. Um, this is actually a chemical that was created by Monsanto back in the day. And it is now banned in the U.S. because of how unsafe they have discovered it to be. But the problem is that it has such a long life in the environment that it still exists everywhere. And they believe that 100% of the population contains this in our blood and urine now. However, the place that we are finding that people are getting the most exposure to it, unfortunately, is with seafood. Because it basically ended up leaching into the soil and then ending up in the water supplies and then the fish are completely contaminated with it, and then we are getting contaminated by eating them. And so the sad thing is that I'm one of the few people I know who's actually kind of like an advocate for not really eating seafood anymore these days, which is sad because it's a very healthy food normally, and if our planet was clean, it would be great, but unfortunately seafood, PCBs isn't the only thing that seafood is, you know, rich toxic-wise, and it's just, becoming a burden to where it's almost more unhealthy to eat it than it is, you know, the benefit of eating it. And um, that's why I'm a huge advocate for like very clean third party tested like fish oils, because at least in that sense, you can get the fatty acids that we want from the seafood, but they've made sure that all of the heavy metals and the chemicals and toxins have all been like taken out of them. So that would be an option for people there. Um, phthalates. What? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Um, phthalates is another one which is added to majority of plastic products, especially like personal body products, cleaning products, home products in general. Um, and it's basically what they put in the plastic in order to make it kind of more pliable or flexible. And um, so it's found in anything like the a frustrating thing is that it's also hugely found in tons of kids items. So all of like the kids toys, like the squeaky toys and the rubber duckies and the, you know, chewy gum stuff and all of that kind of stuff is like laced with phthalates for kids, which is unfortunate. And they're all touching everything and putting everything in their mouth, 
mouth and biting on all of it. And so trying to avoid that as much as possible would be really good. <laughs> um, but phthalates, essentially, the best way to avoid them is to search for body products that list the fact that they're completely phthalate um, free on the label because the um, cosmetic industry has a lot of loopholes and things where they're able to basically say that they don't have to put it on the ingredient list. So just because it's not there doesn't mean it's not there. The only way you know for sure it's not there is if they're telling you that they have made sure that testing wise it isn't. And so avoiding that because these are known for having a lot of reproductive um, problems um, like endocrine hormonal imbalances essentially that can create like birth defects or you know hormone related cancers such as you know uh, breast cancer ovarian cancer um, birth defects uh, pregnant women especially are highly you know sensitive to it um, uh, another one is BPA which you mentioned earlier um, and probably one of the biggest conspiracies surrounding this is that everybody thinks, oh, well, I can still use plastic because now there's BPA-free plastic. But oh my God, yes, please talk about this. <laughs> but the problem is, is that they have replaced BPA with BPS, which is just another chemical that just has a different molecular structure, you know, added onto it, but it's basically the same thing. And we've shown that it has the exact same you know, effect on the body. And essentially what it does is that it has, um, it has the availability to directly um, interact with our estrogen receptors in the body and actually stimulate estrogen activity. And so obviously we know that there's a gazillion things that go wrong when estrogen and hormones are put out of balance. And this is the last thing that we want to have happen. This is part of the reason we think that there's, you know, a rise in like estrogen sensitive breast cancers um, even PCOS, uh, I know that you focus a lot on PCOS and they found there was a study that I read at one point that looked at adolescents who were suffering from PCOS and they found that the adolescents that had PCOS had significantly higher levels of BPA in their blood than the average population, which mm -hmm. suggested that part of that was due to the fact that the BPA was basically throwing the hormones, you know, out of balance and contributing to the PCOS. Um, so I got to avoid plastic. Yes, avoid plastic. I tell people all the time that get rid of as much and any plastic you can in your home as possible. I only drink out of either stainless steel or glass. Um, I replaced all of my, you know, plastic tubbleware with glass tubbleware. Um, I try to not use plastic wrap as much as I possibly can. And they now have like those beeswax, like, you know, yep. things that are like a great alternative. Um, I. I mean, I replaced vinyl shower curtains with, you know, fabric shower curtains because anything that basically has plastic and especially if it's a flexible type of plastic is 100% leaching for the entire life of its, you know, existence. So, yeah, especially with heat, right? Like when I see yes. people microwaving plastic, I literally just want to like, oh, it drives me crazy. Oh, yes. <laughs> or when they keep a plastic water bottle in the car and then they drink oh, it, yeah. you know, later, all of that is like, you know, yeah. the biggest no, 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 <laughs> please <Yeah>. don't. <laughs> um, and then obviously another big, you know, talk is pesticides. What a lot of people probably don't realize is that majority of pesticides are actually uh, put on crops by way of like the airplane dropping mode. And what they have found is that only 0.1% of all of those pesticides that they're dropping are actually targeting the actual pest that they're trying to target to get rid of them for the crop. And the other 99.9% .9 are being left to have a huge effect on the environment 
meaning it's leaching into the soil, it's killing other bugs that we don't want to kill, such as butterflies and bees and, you know, all of that. And, you know, it's affecting other crops. So we're seeing like other plants that are, you know, starting to die off population wise because they're being killed by, you know, these very toxic substances. And we know that these substances and the pesticides are so toxic that even, you know, employees and other people that have to work with them and then spray things have to use hazmat suits. So why is it that we, you know, think that it's safe to then eat, but we want to use hazmat suits when we're working with it? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense to me. No sense. It's <laughs> mind-boggling. So, it's we're literally mind-boggling. Come on. <laughs> I just, and I think that that's the thing is that these companies are so huge and they make so much money and they just know how to market things in a way where they tell people like, Hey, we're just going to show you all the great stuff, like this beautiful looking like food, but we're going to hide all of like the bad stuff that we don't want you to see. And it's just, it just irritates me and frustrates me so much. Yeah, that's where we come in. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so organic pest- currently is not, sorry, I uh, just want to touch a point so because the pesticides you know we can't really control how far they go um organic obviously it's going to be a bit better and then it depends like where it is but Mm -hmm. pesticides can still show up on organic produce right yes it's not so much that i mean for one it depends on how close an organic crop is to a non-organic crop where they're using pesticides so yes i mean wind and everything occurs and you know also water flow off and all of that soil erosion etc so most of what we see with, you know, organic stuff being compromised is from the fact that the soil and the water is compromised. So it's actually being absorbed in through the roots during the growing process. So a lot of people think, oh, I can just like wash my, you know, veggies and it's all fine. But the problem is that it's actually even brought into the actual plant itself and contained within it. So then we're actually consuming it no matter what. But unfortunately, we can't tell people just avoid all food altogether because yeah, now it's all laced do? with pesticides. <laughs> <Can we stop laughs> ourselves? So you just have to do the best that you can. And I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that the levels that are found in organic versus non-organic is significantly lower. So you hope that the benefits you're getting from the added nutrition, you know, the vitamins and minerals that help our whole detoxification process and every other cellular function in our body is enough to help at least support some of the, you know, counteracting effect of the fact that there are still going to be pesticides, you know, there, but. Yeah. And like, even if you soak them with like vinegar that can help, or for instance, I've been starting to, well, we have a little mini garden uh, where mm-hmm. we have a lot of vegetables. So that's like even more in your control, right? Exactly. So I those have are a garden as well. And it's, people think that, you know, it is, it takes time, you know, a garden isn't like, okay, I don't have to commit any time to it, but it's so worth it. And you Mm -hmm. can get so much even out of a small area and one plant. Like if you just grow one zucchini plant, I swear it's going to be more zucchini than you probably could. Oh my goodness. (laughs) They just grow. They're humongous. (laughs) They are. And they just produce like endlessly. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. You don't even need to have a huge space. It can be like a tiny little spot as well. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the, you know, three by three square foot area will give you, you know, a lot. Um, And then probably the last main chemical that I think is like one of the biggest things that people could definitely control is synthetic fragrances. Mm -hmm. Um, This one, there was, uh, it's called the Packaging and Labeling Act that was uh, put in in 1973. And it allows the cosmetic industry to 
hide over 3,000 different chemicals under the title of either fragrance or perfume on the bottle. And they don't have to tell you what those 3,000 chemicals are because they can just call them all fragrance. <laughs> and the unfortunate thing is that these 3,000 chemicals were all kind of grandfathered in before we started doing a lot of testing on the safety of chemicals. So none of them even require any safety control either, which means they just get to be put into all of our makeups and lotions and deodorants and shampoos and conditioners and everything. And we don't even know that they're there. And so... Synthetic fragrances is a huge thing that it's we're showing a lot of neurotoxicity meaning like, you know, brain problems um, Like Parkinson's development Alzheimer's memory cognitive issues like nerve sensitivities um, Also hormonal imbalances again everything affects our endocrine system, you know significantly and anytime the hormones are out of whack it, you know affects everything upstream and downstream from fatigue to a healthy menstrual cycle to a healthy libido to you know cancer to you know fertility to anything and these synthetic fragrances are found everywhere your candles your you know um uh like deodorizers that you use in the house the deodorizers you use in the toilet your you know cleaning products um anything that you go to the store even like a blanket or something and they have some sort of perfume that's coming off of them to make them smell amazing all of that is synthetic fragrances i mean literally even has synthetic fragrances it's it's crazy it's all over the place and so any i've always told my patients that anytime just look at the ingredients for everything or you know find out if the company is a company that cares about doing things chemical free because the moment you see fragrance or perfume on the label, I guarantee you 100% there is synthetic fragrances in it. So I say either completely avoid anything that has that or specifically look for ones that say that it's just 100% like natural, you know, essential oils or unscented, even though unscented can still, you know, be iffy. So people should do their research, but um, it's an area that you is one of the areas we can control the most but you have to be very diligent in being aware of where to find it yeah and i just see so many people like wearing perfume every day and it's like yeah. you know it's a common thing and there are definitely alternatives i don't know if you've heard of pacifica but i love their natural perfumes it's like essential oil um and awesome. they actually smell really good so like even if you use essential oils or like other product like brands yeah. They're actually alternatives, so maybe a lot of people think that, oh, but I want to smell good. Like, you still can smell good. Totally They're, like, alternatives, can. right? And that's, that's the thing. Yeah, Plants are amazing smelling substances. So, I mean, essential oil, any product that is willing, it's just, the problem is that it's expensive. So, the company wants to make the most money they possibly can, and the chemicals used for synthetic fragrances are extremely cheap, whereas essential oils and real plant extracts actually cost money. So, they're doing a favor for them and a disservice to us. And people need to be aware of that and actually stand up for what's best for themselves. Yeah, 100%. So there are definitely a lot of things that we can control. There are things that we can't control. But, I mean, yeah. we really want to be able to look at, like, what we are putting on our bodies, in our house, you know, what we're surrounded with. Um, so these are some great tips. Thank you so much for sharing today. I would love for you to share a little bit about what you do and where we can find you if we want to check you out. Yes. So as you already mentioned, I'm a licensed naturopathic doctor. I'm licensed in the state of California. So that is where I see my patients. Um, I'm also an entirely virtual doctor, which means I see everybody online. 
uh, via Zoom, which is very similar to Skype. So it's a video chat with my patients and that way I can see people all over California. Um, I also do like health consults for people in other states and countries that aren't in California, but I just can't act as a primary doctor for those individuals. But my focus on gut health primarily, but I do see a lot of like thyroid imbalances, weight issues, uh, chronic fatigue, stress, anxiety, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, my website is, I think you'll list it as well, but it's mm -hmm lotusnaturopathic.com and I do all of my booking on there so if anybody wants to have an appointment I'm always happy to help people discover their best version of themselves amazing well those notes will all be in the show notes so all of the links so we can check you out thank you so much again for coming on this was so informative so really really appreciate it my pleasure thank you for having me Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you loved it. As usual, if you do, I always appreciate a review and rating on iTunes. If you don't know how to do it, Google it. It's really, really easy. It takes three seconds, and it really does help me reach more people and help to educate more of those people who really need to hear this kind of stuff. So it's really, really helpful. So I really appreciate your support. And if you like the episode, if you want to chat, discuss anything, definitely share on Instagram and I will tag you, mention you, shout out. And um, I always do appreciate your support. So thank you again for tuning in and I will chat to you guys next 